Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. Today, we are going to be talking about the first executed in the Salem Witch Trials, Bridget Bishop. Many people had been accused and held in jail. But she is the first person who is brought to trial and executed. But before we get into the details, sad details, let's chat a little bit about one of the fun things we did this weekend. Yes. I, I wish I had like a tiki sound. I don't like birds. What's a tiki sound? I don't know. Tiki, tiki, tiki. Yeah. It's a nice room. little dance there. Um, yeah, I, I could sing the, the, the Disney Tiki Room song. I, I won't. Yeah. So the coveted tiki boat yes. that you may or may not spot out in Salem Harbor yeah, so when you visit the city, we got tickets. Well, you I, got I, tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if, if you are out and about in the water, you see a little, literally it's a tiki hut just floating like around. Like a barge. Yeah. The barge is big. It's, it's like a 20 by 20. Uh, like a baby barge. Yeah. It, it's not big. Um, Do you and, know what a pontoon boat is? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend was trying to explain what this was and was describing it as a pontoon boat. And apparently New Englanders don't really know what those are. So I just wanted to check. Fair enough. Um, So uh, tickets for the Tiki Hut cruise uh, go on sale in early January. And last year I'd almost missed my shot and we managed to get tickets for like a midweek 11 a.m. Uh, cruise, which was to be fair, a fun day. But this past January, I made a point, like when they went on sale, just to buy up like three slots over the summer. Uh, the full, you can sit six people, and so I'm just, I just picked three random dates and and went from there. Because they usually sell out within oh, like what a day, within a like, couple days. Yeah, yeah, they sell out pretty quick. And and to be able to get all six seats is even harder. Yeah. Like you could probably like maybe find like one or two seats here right. and there, but I was like, no, I just want to go with a group of friends, go and have a good time. And I was just like, oh, we're going to pick this date. And the first date uh, has since come and gone. It was so fun. <laughs> I'm not much of a tiki drink kind of gal, uh-huh. but they were good and yeah. they went down very easily. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you to Scott and Karen of the Salem Tiki Boat and Piper the and Dog. And Piper the Dog. Yeah, yeah, they bring their little dog out on the uh, on the boat with them. Scott is a retired police officer, and Karen slings the drinks while he drives. And he's a great captain. She's a great bartender. Yeah, it's just a gr- it's a really fun time. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I've gone for the past few summers now, and I've got a few more trips this summer, which I'm really looking forward to. So it should be uh should be good. But if you manage to get into town, and maybe for some reason you manage to get tickets, uh, tell them we said hi. And if you've already got your tickets booked, uh, enjoy a little time out in the Salem Harbor. I had a friend go on the following day, and she said that she saw our sticker (laughs) in the book. So we left our mark. Take that. (laughs) All right. Tour corner. Tour tour corner. How were your tours? Good. Any fun stories? Um, I don't think anything like. Oh, oh, I had a, a family uh, who were descendants Ooh. Um, and I didn't know. I, I don't think they, they said anything. They, they were curious and, and seemed intrigued. And then we get to the memorial and um, we go, we stop in the memorial and, and the father, I think he just sort of looks over in the last bench on the, on the right, as you're looking in is Samuel Wardwell. And he's like, Oh, 
that's the guy. And I was like, what? He's like, oh, we're descendants. And I was oh like, my gosh. I'm like, oh, he didn't say anything up until that up point. Until that point, they hadn't wow. said. So I, I was like, oh, uh, cool. And then I'm just like, I don't know if you, you don't look at anyone differently. Right. But it's like, I guess this story matters a little. It, it, it should matter to everyone, but it matters a little bit differently to you. They have a different perspective yeah, completely. Yeah. See, my first thought always goes to like, how did you find out? Like, was this family lore? Did it pass down through the generations? Is it something that you guys, oh, so-and-so up the line was accused and killed for witchcraft? Some people just know. Some people just know. Or some people, you know, they dig through ancestry and they eventually come upon it. And Mm -hmm. then they make the trek to Salem to pay homage. It's really, I love meeting descendants. I actually had a couple on my tours as well. Well, actually, no, I take that back. Have you ever, as I, I directed them to, to the witch museum to pick up on the packets, uh-huh. but I have never, I mean, I'm not a descendant, so I guess I've, maybe I should go, I don't know what those are, what they entail, or so I, what's included. I was actually thinking <laughs> of possibly going to pick up Bridget Bishop's packet. Oh, for this episode. And, and for this episode, and maybe even opening it on the recording. Cause like, I've never looked at one before. Um, I do know that it is a compilation of documents related to that individual. So like, I believe, I believe, don't quote me on this. I've never looked at one, Okay, but they are copies of the original documents. So like so any documents they have. So for her, right, it so would if, be like the arrest warrant. The exactly. Execute. Any testimonies brought up against them. And then I'm sure that there's like a quick biographical note put together by the Salem Witch Museum included I, in there. So I, I might go buy all of them. <laughs> That's what you see. My boss did that. <laughs> my boss, Jeff actually yeah, yeah. went and bought all 20. Actually, I think there's more now. So they did obviously the original uh, uh, executed, but it's expanded outward to uh-huh. include other folks, including I think some accusers as well. I so, hate- yeah, if just an FYI, if anyone is a I'm descendant, gonna, I'm put that in my notes and like a thing to do, go go buy all of that. Yeah. Uh, so if anyone is a descendant or thinks they're a descendant or is just interested in really learning about one of these individuals who was executed, if you go into the, I believe it's the gift shop of the Salem Witch Museum, and they have a wall full of descendant packets that you can purchase. I believe they're like 20 bucks. Oh, that might be. That's a lot for all of them. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, Jeff oh. like literally dropped like <laughs> 200 bucks on Descendant Packets. They're like, wow, you really like the witch trials. He's like, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if we can get like a local. Discount? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we'll have to, maybe, maybe we'll go grab. Bridget Bishops. Grab. To be fair, if we did it like a slow, we could do each one like through the. Do you know how long that would take? Each episode. Oh. Right. So then like this is Bridget Bishop's episode. And if we're doing another episode and someone else. Yeah. We can we do that. Like do one for Rebecca Nurse. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. I okay. thought you meant just sit through just and sit read through, through all, through all no, of that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Be a little I, I, monotonous. I don't, I don't want these, these people to hate us. <laughs> so I th- kind of had a descendant on my tour. Not really. I, that sounds weird. Um, but I had this woman, right? And she she came with her daughter and her grandson and a couple of their family members. Apparently, the daughter had been on the tour back in the summertime, 
and mm-hmm. she was coming back to Salem with her family. And she's like, we got to do this tour. We got to do this tour. So when we get to the Salem Witch Trials Memorial, and I'm bringing them up along the stones and talking about the victims, we come up to uh, Sarah Goodstone. And at that point, I ask everyone, I usually ask on my tours, is anyone a descendant, either of the accused or the accusers? Because, you know, you get a lot of people that do their family history and their family member was executed. But I've had a descendant of Judge Hathorne, the hanging judge once. Yeah, she did not want to share with the rest of the group. But when I asked this, this woman kind of like giggled a little bit. And I was like, oh, kind of, I think. And I was like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? <laughs> and she says, well, my name is Sarah Good. <laughs> and my daughter's name is Dorothy Good. Is and all of us kind of laughed a little bit. Like we were kind of beside ourselves. And I said, oh my gosh, do you know anything about your family history? And she's like, well, we did come over on the Mayflower. <laughs> Okay, well, you might want to look into that because okay. <laughs> yeah. there's a very good chance. Yeah, I don't know if it was just names that may have been passed down through the line. Very much a coincidence, if anything. Right. She could have very easily. I mean, I'm, you're a Sarah. It's a. I know. It's a very, it's, a, it's yeah. an average name. Well, especially like generally, gen- generationally. There you go. That's the word. Like for, for sort of our age group there's uh-huh. a lot of sarahs so yeah. our parents and in, in like that name that was a popular name to name your kids yeah but the sarah good was like in her 60s uh, or 70s okay, okay. so that's a little because so i was gonna say because then maybe you might name your daughter dorothy which might have been a your mother or grandmother's name right if 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 okay but that yeah totally, yeah, yeah. There go, no there goes it's, my it's okay it's theory. okay hey i would love to know i told her i said if you figure it out please email us because i'm going to be wondering about this forever forever, forever. two in the morning you're to be like what <laughs> yeah i guess what what had happened originally is when her daughter took the tour she immediately texted her as we were talking about the story of sarah good and her daughter dorothy being imprisoned, she texts her mom, says, Hey, are we related to Sarah Good? Because that's your name. <laughs> and mom was like, Yes, you're related to Sarah Good. Oh, <laughs> like, so crazy. Yeah. Oh, and she, uh, I get it. <laughs> that's very nice. <laughs> mom, am I related to Sarah Good? Be like, You're my kid. Yes. Um, no, this. the witch, I mean. <laughs> like, Wait, what witch? Which witch? That witch, the other witch. So, uh, I I need to uh, say say something before we start the the tour. A little a little self correction. Uh, Did you say before we start the tour? Yes. <laughs> before we start the episode. That's okay. It's uh, basically a tour, right? A uh, little bit of a self correction here. Uh, my apologies to all you um, residents of Marblehead. I. <laughs> I had called your high school sports uh, mascot the Wizards, Marblehead Wizards, which, so to clarify, I had thought it was the Wizards and then thought I was wrong. 
And when asked uh, the official magician of Salem, who is uh, grew up here, what it was, and he's like, "Oh, it's the Marblehead magicians," because he's a magician and he's from Salem. So he I, he had explained this to me at some point. I had forgotten. I had reconfirmed with him that it was the magicians, and then in the podcast, I said wizards like four times. Yeah, you did. So, um, <laughs> uh, it's the Salem witches, the uh, Beverly Panthers, and the Marblehead magicians. Probably one, still one of the coolest mascots yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Self-correction. I'll, I'll take that one. So no Merlin streaking out on the, uh, the nope. football field. Could be. Have you seen their logo? It's like a little nefarious dude with a top hat and like a curly mustache. Yeah. It could, it could be. I mean, no like big beard. Yeah, but, I guess. Yeah. I guess. Magicians and wizards are kind of the same thing. Similar. Yeah. Are we debating magicians and wizards right that. now? <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, we can do that uh, if if we have Anton back on. Okay, we'll get the yeah, yeah, the confirmation on that. All right, uh, quick thing: a shout out to a friend of the podcast, Kurt Dion. So I actually went to grad school with him at UMass Boston, and he considers himself a grave hunter. Dun, dun, dun. Right? Isn't that bizarre? Um, but super cool guy. Uh, he was the first to visit all of the presidential graves and vice presidential graves. So quite the interesting hobby. But he was very alarmed when he heard that Elias Haskett Derby didn't have a find a grave page. As, like, as everyone should be. Right. He should have one. And the fact that we had a we had trouble finding his grave in the first place. So Kurt took it upon himself to start Derby's Find a Grave page. Well, thank you, Kurt. So very excited. Yeah, I love it. Yay, Derby. That's, <laughs> We're that's, making uh, changes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. One dead guy at a time. (laughs) And last but not least, speaking of dead, a quick reminder, we want your Salem paranormal stories. Yes, we're going to be talking ghosts soon. Very soon. So if you got a spooky, haunty, creepy, ghosty. That was good. Thank you. I I hope they could hear that. (laughs) Uh, Let us know. Shoot us an email. Hit us up on Instagram. We'll probably be putting up one of the stories uh, to ask questions. Tell us your ghost story things. Let us know if you've had an encounter, uh, if you've seen orbs, ghosts, spirits, wisps, rods, faces in windows, full body apparitions, or whatever the case may be. Or even if you thought something was haunted and then... Did you stay at the Hawthorne? Did you stay at the Merchant? Did you stay at the Salem Inn? Yeah, all the places. Tell us. Tell us your secrets. I believe that they will be playing into our next guest, if I am not wrong. You are not wrong. So that's the only hint you get, but our next guest is ghost-related. Spooky. We will be summoning Derby back from the grave. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's, <laughs> I think technically that would be the next next guest. Oh, very nice. I see what you did there. Two, two hints, mm. two hints. All right, enough of that. Let's get into the... Tragic life of Bridget Bishop. So we talked familiars last week. Mm -hmm. I think it is now time to revisit these Salem witch trials. A lot of our earlier episodes in the podcast were other Salem related. We talked about Derby. We talked about maritime history. We talked about cemeteries, that kind of thing. 
But now we're getting into kind of the sad stuff. So it's going to well, get a little heavy. The, the, the time frame is, is working out as well. Right. So uh, this is just about uh, the time 330 years ago, almost to the day uh, that she's put on trial and her execution follows shortly thereafter. So just about when the episode airs is going to align with that as well. And we have a few other of these people to talk about throughout the summer months as these trials are going on. I think when people learn about history, you get a lot of big names, big mm-hmm. places, big events thrown at you. And oftentimes the singular person, the individual gets lost in the mix of it, especially when those individuals are, say, outcasts in society, uh, maybe disregarded by their peers, especially in Bridget's case. I think it's important to go back and actually tell the story Not only will we learn about her as a person, but we'll also be able to better understand the trials and exactly what these folks were dealing with on a day-to-day basis during 1692. So I want to counter that like just a little bit um, and and both agree and and, and disagree. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Only because depending on, I don't want to say your time or or your investment, um, there is... In, in any historical topic, uh, regardless of whether that's the, the trials or a revolutionary war, or the civil, any, you know, whether it's a political movement. So there are so many people who have influenced that event mm-hmm. and it, whether that is happening like that, like the specific witch trials during this time period or the, the years, months and centuries that led up to that, that there's a whole lot going on. So I think it's very important to give people a good, uh, like foundation and comprehensive understanding of the event, um, it's much more difficult to give them, to give the the individuals involved the proper respect that they need, which I feel like sometimes is why they're they're left out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you are interested and you have the time and you can invest that, that is more important than the 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 surface narrative. I would agree. I think putting together that context is essential because history doesn't happen in a bubble. None of these people's lives were, especially in this town, being as small as it was separated Mm -hmm. from each other. I mean, there are so many factors playing into this situation. You can't disregard any of it. You can't just open up, Hey, Bridget Bishop was this, you're like that then lead. How, why, who, where? So Given that base understanding, now we can move forward to get into detail about some of these people who are radically important to the conversation. So where, where do we want to start? I mean, I've heard that the beginning is a very good place to start. <laughs> what? Oh, that was bad. Uh, you're good. You're good. <laughs> Sarah's like, I'm going to cut that. I am going to cut that. <laughs> So I have to say, as we've been brushing up on these individuals from history, I can't help but get the urge to go out and like seek out places related to them. It made me realize how lucky we are, how fortunate you and I are that we can drop what we're doing as we're reading about Bridget Bishop and just walk out to the Salem Witch Trials Memorial and have that moment of reflection and pay respect to her. Not everyone can do that. Mm -hmm. So hopefully through this podcast, we are able to help people a little bit. But I found myself 
reading about her and I dropped what I was doing and I walked downtown to the memorial to see her stone and just kind of take a moment. And you know what I saw when I got there? The black locust trees. They are in full bloom. Were in bloom. Yes. Yep. That time of year. Very intentional. Yes. So with any narrative, I guess there's always a, a beginning. Uh, so with her, and I, I guess with any person, like individual that we're going to try and cover, we'll, we're going to try and go through like a timeline of their life. So it gets a little complicated a little farther down her road when we're going to reference things that happened five years before. So it gets a little jumpy, but the best narrative is to start at the beginning. We want you to understand Bridget as a person mm-hmm. and not necessarily define her immediately as that first executed. So we want to talk about what led up to that point and elaborate on a bit of that context. What is playing into her accusations? Because if we remember, and this is probably a good time to remind folks to go back to the intro to 1692 episode. Episode two. Episode two, uh, an overview of the Salem trials. In that episode, we Talk about the first individuals that are questioned. And those three people, Bridget. That's that's not Bridget Bishop. Bridget Bishop is not not one of them. And she won't be brought into the trials for another month and a half after those accusations start. So to understand why they go after her, we have to start at the beginning. 60 years prior? Give or take. So Bridget is born in England, uh, likely around, we kept seeing 1632. So I, I've seen 1632 and like mid to late 1630s. So somewhere around there, she's born in the Norfolk. Did I say that correctly, Norfolk. Jeffrey? Norfolk, yeah. Norfolk, County of England. Could you explain where that's at, England boy? If you're it, to the east of London, like, I don't know, maybe 50 miles And that's without me looking at a map. So if that's a little off, uh, my apologies. So she marries Samuel Wasselby in 1660. They have a son who they name Benjamin, likely born around 1663. Uh, The only record for him is a baptism from that year. And he's never mentioned again. So it's very likely that he he dies early. When that's what you have, it's a good indicator that that child at, at some point uh, passes away. So then, like many of her time, she travels to the colonies, a, a, vo- a voyage that could take anywhere from six weeks to several months, depending on the weather, the winds. Time of year. It would have been a hard journey, and there's a very good chance that she was pregnant during that journey. She is recorded as having a child January 10th, 1665. In Boston, she gives birth to a baby girl uh, who she names Mary, but Samuel is not there. No, I think he he sends her forward. No, I, he's dead by that point. He dies. He's dead. Yeah. Okay. He is. He's passed so he's away. Passed away in England, and and she's either he passed away in England, passed away on the voyage on the over, voyage. or passed away when they got here. Okay. But yeah, she has that baby alone. Um, And unfortunately, the child does not survive infancy either. The next time we see her is in 1666. She is now in Salem. So we are 
we have arrived, and she marries Thomas Oliver. That is the same year as the Great Fire of London, by the way. So that's a little interesting historical note. These things are all happening. I think a lot of times people forget, like when we talk about what's going on in New England, like there's a whole like full on civilization right. that, that she left that, that England, that these people like in, in Salem in Massachusetts, they're, you know, living day to day frontier territory colonization. Oh yeah. And you got a whole empire going on across the sea. An empire that they left. I'm yeah. sure that that news was spilling, yeah. you know, in and out of the colonies. Again, history doesn't just happen in, in a bubble. So these people who are dealing with their own issues in the colonies and, and they are relying on support from England, the capital has just burned to the ground. That's going to then put other strains on imports, exports, metal, wood, food, all these other trade deals, negotiations, economy, all that other stuff. It all ties in together. I love it. <laughs> history. History. History is so cool. <laughs> For history. Um, so so Thomas Oliver is, is I, I don't know. I mean, her story obviously starts prior to this, but this is sort of where it starts to become more relevant as we then, years later, apply her narrative to being a witch or being accused of of being a witch. So things that happen during this time in Salem will come back to basically haunt her. Mm -hmm. And you will see references in the trials, testimony given by her neighbors that talks about incidences that happened back in the 1670s even, so decades before 92. Thomas Oliver, he is a calendar, which is um, technically a gentleman who works with cloth. He's an artisan of sorts. He puts the finishing layer on cloth. And the following year, so they get married in 1666, the following year, she gives birth to their child, uh, her third child at this point, another girl. She names her Christian, and she does live past infancy. So. I also think Thomas Oliver, I, correct me if I'm wrong, he's about 30 years older than her. I didn't see anything about his age, so I, I this is news in, in, to me. Okay. So but like- 1601. <sighs> So she's, she's 1632. Yeah. And he's, so by this point, 1666, I can't count. She's in her thirties and he's in his sixties. I mean, people probably didn't bet that much of an eye of it. And unfortunately think about her position. So she needed, she needed some type of support, stability. She's coming from England She's lost her husband. She's lost children at this point already. She's in a new place, knows no one, most likely. She's got to shack up with someone that's a little bit more established. And unfortunately, he's, um, well, their whole relationship is pretty toxic. It's a kind way to put it. <laughs> Abusive. Yeah. And so obviously the the rules in this day and age are are different than they are today. Um, however, just reinforce that domestic violence whenever, however, and for whatever reason is never okay. No. Um, and even though the rules back then were different, they're still going, their violence and toxic behavior goes beyond even what would have been legally allowed uh, back then. What Puritans would consider quote unquote acceptable. acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, to the point where 
the first instance happens before their daughter's first birthday. So this is like, it is, it is almost immediately a bad situation in that household. They're brought to court for public marital spats and, you know, in a, in a small town, especially in this era, especially with the Puritans being as staunch as they are, they like to gossip, they like to talk, and you are not going to get away with arguing with your husband in or outside the household. And and outside makes it even worse, right? Because like Indeed. things that happen sort of in the house, and again, it, it's never okay, are a little more okay. But when you're doing this stuff in public, you... So oftentimes when they would be brought to court, it was just pay a fine Mm -hmm. or receive a whipping. Their neighbors were brought into it. One would go on to testify that she saw Bridget's face, quote, at one time bloody and at other times black and blue. So she was walking around town with black and blue eyes at at least. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, again, just just adds to this. And let's also note that they live right in the center of town. We'll talk about the property here in a second, but they're right pretty much across from the meeting house, the first church. Mm -hmm. They're on full display. There's there's one instance where I, I believe they were having at least a verbal, if not a physical altercation in public on the Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big (laughs) no-no. And I, I, I might be, correct me if I'm wrong. uh, This is the one that where they're both arrested and sort of uh, put into the stockade for a period of time. Uh And his daughter uh, from a previous marriage. So her stepdaughter pays for his release. And then he just opts to leave her. Yeah. There. No, you're not wrong. Um, (laughs) That was in 1677. So at this point, they have been married for about a decade. There's been multiple court instances. They've had likely a terrible marriage. And she was recorded as calling him an old devil (laughs) and an old rogue. Which, I mean, at this point, he's he's 76 years old. Um, so So once again, on the Sabbath. Yeah. Not okay. Yeah. But yes, they're ordered to pay a fine or be publicly humiliated, as was customary in the Puritan tradition. And his daughter Mary paid his fine. So there sat Bridget Bishop with a little sign pinned to her hat. Forehead, yeah. Yep. That says her transgressions. And she just has to endure that public humiliation. So then th- all of these little bits of information tie in. They also gagged her by the way. Sorry. No. (laughs) Sorry. I just had to add that in. Uh, These continuously add to the narrative of the suspicion that, that comes uh, from her accusations years later. Did you see where that public humiliation took place? And I may have been misinterpreting this, but according to Marilyn K. Roach, it was at the crossroads near the meeting house and the town pump. So that that's your favorite intersection in the city. Not it's not anymore. <laughs> like, but like, oh my god, yeah. we all know that intersection. Yeah, that's, that, that's like that's that's, that's the, the bewitch statue. That's that's Rockefellers. Yeah. That's right there. Yeah. So probably would have been on the um, 
Rockefeller's side. Right, right, right yeah. there. Oh my, it's just so, it adds like a whole different layer when you're walking through town to think about what happened before you. Sorry, continue. I just had to share that. Oh, yes. Uh, so what happens the next year? Thankfully, we have a, uh, a bright spot. Maybe not. Okay, sorry. I don't, I'm not a big fan of Thomas no, Oliver. No, I, I don't, I don't disagree. Thomas, Thomas passes away. He passes away. Yeah. Um, now, for, for historical note, relevance, trial conversations, there is no evidence to suggest that she had a hand in, in his death. Um, Although I'm sure she was happy about it. <laughs> I, I also, I'll, I'll throw this in there as a little bit of a caveat, and I, I say this on my tours, that this is not based in any historical evidence whatsoever. If you're abusive husband has taken ill in your opinion are you going to help them get better no <laughs> so <laughs> given that and again this is this is just my own uh, uh looking at the situation i go i can't imagine you know if he has an infection or, or whatever's going on that, that she's like oh let me help you and change your dressing or you know bring you uh some fresh blankets Oh, he's fine. Yeah, no, no. He's, he always <laughs> complains. He's just loud. <laughs> Two days later, the man's dead. Whoops. Okay. That, I mean, who's <laughs> to say it didn't happen? So again, that is not based in historical evidence. There is no evidence to suggest that she killed him. No, but I'm not surprised when people do start suggesting as such. Uh, one interesting thing that happens after Thomas Oliver dies, she inherits his land. So she is granted administration of that land, which was somewhat uncommon, um, not just until she remarries, but for the rest of her life. Right. So, and, and this is where it gets... I don't know. I, I guess everything's a little weird, right? But this circumstances are are always are always a little different. Yeah. This land is not given to his kids and it's not directly given to her. It's given to her until she dies, where in which it will then be given to his children. So she's like holding on to it. And the interesting part about this land is what it is and where it is. Uh, you mentioned just sort of that, that downtown area. So a lot of you people uh, probably have been to Turner's or Opus. Um, and you might have been told if you've taken a tour, that's where her apple orchard was. Uh, so it's this right in the center of, of downtown area. We had three children from a previous wife, two sons and a daughter, all grown. But what he did not have was a will. Which is weird. I mean, it's not like he was 30 with no will. I know. It is kind of odd. Like 70. Oh, do you think Bridget stashed no, it somewhere? I, maybe in the walls. With the oh, my God. <laughs> no, oh my no, God. no. That, that's <laughs> making that up. That's that's no no basis in historical fact. But, but no given this situation, yeah. things get weird. So cool. this is an apple orchard. The land itself is large enough to include a small apple orchard, mm-hmm. a chicken coop, a pigsty. She also is granted two pigs with that, uh, as well as 10 acres across the river in Northfield. She also inherits the house on the property and all the housewares within. 
So quite, she's she's walking away with that's, quite a that's bit. That's a good amount of stuff. She also inherits his debts too, though. Which I so think are, are significant and, somewhat. and substantial. Yeah. I mean, she's definitely coming out on top and I, she's in a, a good situation. Uh, and I'm also, I'm sure his kids were not, not happy. You got to remember, this is the same daughter that paid the fine for her father and, and he's got two sons. Like, and, I'm and sure remember, they were pissed. And, and and not to paint this in any philandering way, but she's the younger woman, right? Like, yeah. she comes in at age, you know, early 30s, marrying their 60, 70-year-old dad. He passes away, and she gets all his stuff. That's, that's cause for being jaded. After she had spouted profane terms and and names yeah, at him yeah. in public absolutely when your reputation was so important to you during this day and age yeah i'm sure that they weren't too fond of her just a reason to point fingers so so she inherits the land in 1679 mm-hmm. it is less than 6 months later that she is accused of witchcraft and you're all sitting there being like wait 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 it's not 1692. Nope. She's accused 12 years prior for the first time. And not just accused, she's arrested for yeah. it. So it's a pretty serious allegation. This is then going to continue to play in 12 years later. So this accusation is... Basically what happened, and keep in mind, it's very much a similar setup as we will see 12 years later. Uh, you're brought into court. You have your accusers proclaim their testimony in front of you, in front of everyone, and then they deliver a decision. So the charges, apparently an enslaved man uh, by the name of Juan, belonging to John Ingersoll, accused her of spooking a team of horses. They ended up running into a creek with all the goods they were carrying in tow, and several other gentlemen in town corroborated this claim Uh, So she had multiple people giving testimony against her. Juan would go on and say that he saw her specter. So remember her ghost-like image perched on a beam in the cow house holding a stolen egg and would later see a black cat specter. Uh, Goes back to our familiars we just talked about last episode. And he would endure several pinches at dinner. And... Like, I know these all sound absurd claims, which they are, but back then it wasn't. Yeah. So why, why do we think that this didn't go anywhere? I do get a lot of questions from participants on tours when they hear that Bridget Bishop had been accused of witchcraft before, you know, why wasn't she executed? Why? Because it's not like 1692 was the first time, but 1680 with Bridget Bishop, there'd been people who'd been accused and and found guilty in Connecticut, hanged in Boston, you know, so why didn't she? The court will rule that she is to be sent to Boston to a higher court. So she was supposed to go to the Massachusetts upper legislature, I believe it's called. Uh, They try capital cases because of course, witchcraft is a capital crime. Yes. But there's no further records. Um, so it is suggested that it just never went anywhere. There wasn't enough evidence. Oftentimes, prior to 1692, as you said, there were situations where people were executed. But more often than not, they would just pay a fine. 
maybe charges would be dropped because the evidence wasn't sufficient. But and, and, and that calls into question this idea of spectral evidence, which is weird because almost every case in 1692 hinges on spectral evidence. Uh-huh. But spectral evidence was also, prior to that, often deemed unreliable un- unreliable or at least questionable yeah so if there was not and i would also hasten and and again maybe this is just a conjecture that because it's a slave that makes these claims um and this is one of the things about history is we can look at this narrative and try and unpack it and maybe never come up with an answer uh-huh. see for me when i read that my first assumption was john ingersoll wanted to like get at Bridget for something. So was getting Juan to go and like target Bridget similar to like when parents would use the girls in 1692 to point fingers. Maybe I'm just looking at everything from that lens. Like whenever someone accuses someone in this, I think someone's being the puppet master behind it, but that's just me. Hold on. Okay. Uh, what is, what does uh, Ingersoll have on on his land? The tavern. Or a bar or an ordinary. And it's possible that Bridget Bishop was running an ordinary out of her house. There's some speculation to that on, on either uh-huh. side. Uh, and it might have been confusing her with someone else and, and these sorts of things. Um, but it's very possible. Yeah. You're, you're suggesting like knocking out the competition. Right. And she did have an apple orchard, so she was uh, able to to produce cider and apples, or apples and cider, uh, from that. So maybe maybe that's it. And again, this is conjecture. Right. Don't. Well, hey, let's be honest. I a woman in charge of her own land during this time. I mean, it is incredibly scandalous. Genuinely, and she's also it's not part of it's her owning her own land. But part of it is also that that land uh, happens to be the, the apple orchard. So that then gives her profit. Yes. So it gives she, her, she, she's independent. Yep. And what's more is even when she gets married in 1687 to Edward Bishop, that still remains her land. Because of the funky little court decision that granted it to her Till she dies, where in which it then passes to his kids. So, and it's it's a, it's just a hundred of these small little weird things that continuously drive this narrative. So um, many little factors all woven together. So her and Edward will end up demolishing that uh, house that she lived in with Thomas Oliver, and they build a new home. Uh, likely, according to modern day experts, likely where Opus and uh, the juicery are today, right on Washington Street. So this is kind of eerie. She would have been able to see the courthouse where all the Salem witch trials would take place. Vice, vice versa. She's able to see her house. From the courthouse while she's in there. Yeah. Ugh, it's so disturbing. Yeah. She likely would have seen at least parts of her own property as she's being brought up to Proctor's ledge for the execution. Horrible, horrible. Her run-ins with the law will continue. 
both when it comes to witchcraft and thievery. Yeah, so that's like another narrative. And again, all these little pieces just keep adding up for for this poor woman. Um, there's accusations at this point, we're not even at 1692, that, that already date back decades. Mm-hmm. She's accused in 1682 of stealing a spoon. She is once again accused of witchcraft uh, as folks' children become ill. Yeah, so, so that's a, a weird one, is, is that we start to get these reports of uh, spectral presences. Like, I, I, illnesses? Yeah, so, so there are some attacks but it's more like I saw the specter of Bridget Bishop and then this horrible, tragic thing happened. So therefore those two things are correlated. And oftentimes to preface those two things, there was some type of quarrel or yeah, yeah. Uh, argument with Bridget over something. And those two just tend to follow mm-hmm. probably the last big court case we see of hers prior to the Salem trials happens in 1687 and 88. So she's been married, what, like a hot minute? A very hot (laughs) second there. Right. And, and then all of a sudden there's these accusations and, you know, I, I do wonder what was Edward thinking? Right. He's like, I, it's weird. Like if you look at his, from his narrative, He's like, I'm going to marry this woman and you got to know she's got some baggage, right? Like if nothing else, she's kind, (laughs) she's been accused of being a witch. She uh, has this property. She has this dead ex-husband. And like, even today, like people are like, oh, I got baggage. Like, it's okay. Like we can work through it. (laughs) Right. Like maybe they had that conversation Uh, because he, he marries her. Um, I also read he didn't have any property of his own. So, and I think you and I were trying to figure out like what would possess him to enter this marriage. Maybe but he thought he, that he could get her. Maybe he knew he's like, well, it's hers until she dies, but maybe there'll be like a something like a, maybe he can go after she dies. He can fight for the land or if they're they can will it or at least reap the benefits yeah, off of it. If, yeah. If nothing yeah. else, he, he's now making money like she is, but she's an independent woman who can make her own money off of the apples and, Anyway, so Edward aside, uh, I wonder what he was doing during this whole incident. He was kind of just watching from afar if he was actually involved. But in 1887, her daughter is brought to court for supposedly stealing a piece of brass. Yeah. So this is a weird idea. So it's a hard it's a it's a difficult sort of narrative to follow. Because it's something that seems to have happened in the past. But you end up seeing testimony about it in 1692. Yeah. So according to Bridget, according to Bridget, her daughter, Christian, had found a piece of metal, a piece of brass in the yard, brought it to her mother, asked her what it was. Bridget really didn't know and told her to go bring it to the pewterer, saying that right, pewterer. Edmund Dolber. So one th- to, to identify it. One thing that's also referenced in this case is that uh, Thomas Oliver's property was well documented, and there was no list of brass in that property. So where did she come up with this thing that she supposedly found? And 
When Edmund Dolber sees it, he immediately identifies it as a piece of brass from Thomas Stacy's mill located just off the South River, which had gone missing a couple months prior. So it was just a piece of brass from some type of mechanism, machinery, and it had gone missing. He had told him, if anyone tries to come to you with this, let me know. Thomas Stacy will go on and say that Bridget confessed to this, to stealing it twice. Uh, He'll say that in court. So it's very, but she'll deny that, but she'll deny it. So it's very much a, he said, she said kind of thing. Very much hearsay. And, and we were talking about this and I can see it from sort of both sides. Okay. Maybe she did steal it. Right. And then she's like, well, I'm going to send my daughter to go be like, Hey, when we're going to return it and kind of this thing, or maybe it, it gent, maybe it was taken by someone else and, and fell on the side of the road. Maybe she did find it and was like, Oh, I don't know what this is. Uh-huh. And Hey daughter, go run an errand and, and let's figure this out. So in my mind, both the explanations to this narrative are are equally plausible. And I think the court agreed with you in that respect because it doesn't move forward. The case, there is no she's other. She's held in jail for. I don't know about that. I'm not sure how long or if she is held okay. for an extended period because okay. uh, her husband ends up paying her bond to get her out. So she doesn't have to wait in jail. But either way, she is familiar with the court system, <laughs> she's familiar with the jails. Um, up until this point, by 1692, she's lived a hard life. So she she's gone to the court to to fight for that property. She's gone to the court because she's been accused of being a witch. She's gone to the court because she's been accused of theft. It's like you want to know something else, which I found um, chilling when she is defending herself in that last court case about the stolen brass. She's defending herself against judge Jonathan Hathorne. Who's the same. Who's going to be the same gentleman who is pummeling her with questions just a couple of years down the line. So when, when, when we look at this and he, what's going on in 1692, she's, been familiar with the court, even today, right? If you have someone who has been arrested for, you know, just a some, you know, maybe a drunken disorderly, mm-hmm. maybe a, a B and E, a, a possession, conduct, right? Yeah. Just nothing major, but you know, they they have a record. And then you have someone who doesn't have a record. Everyone today assumes, rightfully or wrongfully, that that person who has the record is probably more likely to be guilty than the person with no record. And so she's coming into this whole thing with a pretty hefty, hefty record. Which is why they go after her first. Yeah. She's easy. Easy target. I oftentimes think back to 1692. I'm sure you do this as well, just because we talk about these stories so much. I wish I could go back just for a minute, an hour, a day, obviously not, in my full body, because who knows how that would end up. So you want to go back spectrally? No, no, yeah, okay, very nice. Yeah. Okay, Sarah. Like we're not doing we're not doing some Outlander stuff here. I want I want to be a fly on the wall, but I think about that day. Would, would that make you a familiar? Oh, very nice. <laughs> there were familiars. Ooh, time traveling. <laughs> time traveling familiar, um, but. In all seriousness, I think about that day and I think about her, her execution day, that is, 
which when this airs, this is going to air on June 7th. Mm-hmm. Her execution is just in three days on June 10th. I think about what is going through her head in that moment. And like all the years, the decades of trauma and just horrible experiences. By 1692, she's roughly 55, 60 years old. She's made it across the Atlantic. She's lost two children. She's lost a husband. She's survived an abusive husband. Yeah. She's been dragged to court on numerous occasions. I mean, I just can't imagine. So I, so we, we, we sort of touched on this once or twice. <laughs> Are you going to bring up our feud right here? A little bit, a little bit. I, I, I think her story, depending on where you look at it, is, is relatively standard. Um, loss of children is nothing inconsequential. The majority of people here had traversed the Atlantic to, to be here. It's colonial living. Uh, it's frontier territory. It's difficult for everyone, whether you've lost someone in, in the conflict with the indigenous people, whether you, you've lost a husband. Uh, you know, there's people who, who lost their whole families to attacks by the quote-unquote savage natives, uh, lost their land. Their whole city was was burned to the ground. So there's a significant amount of people here who have uh, experienced uh, uh, any number of different uh, facets of, of trauma. Um, and I think her narrative aligns very similarly with a lot of those people. But I think maybe where hers f- starts to, to deviate is, is with Thomas Oliver, um, where it becomes a little uh, more abnormal because we do have records of, of these fights, of these disagreements, which mm-hmm. you don't see in, in a lot of other cases. You, you'll see cases of loss of family, of death, of property, of, of these sorts of things. But that's, that does stand out. I think that's probably where her story starts to deviate, which then aligns, interestingly, timeline-wise with, I would say, the the decline of everything going on in Salem. Her her narrative follows along with the general decline of everything that's going on in the area, right? When we look at the 1680s, 1684, not about Bridget Bishop, uh, with the revocation of the charter. So now we have a loss of rule of law, and now these things are going on in her world, you know, with, with Edward Bishop and with these accusations and with the brass and, and, you know, all as Salem is, is starting to lose its way. So too is, is Bridget Bishop's life more and more coming apart, which I find fascinating. Well, as we said at the beginning, life or history doesn't occur in a bubble. Like she is, her life is being directly impacted by By all these other, all of these environmental factors and And these, yeah, it's a great al- is allegory the right word? I think so. M- mimicry of like as the things allegory. happen yeah. in her life, so too are the 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 things happening in the greater Salem and Massachusetts Bay Colony as that's crumbling. Mm-hmm. So too is is her life, and there's a strong correlation to to those two things, which I think is really kind of cool. I have to nab you on just this one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I acknowledge that life was hard back then. Like, I get that people lost children frequently and that crossing the Atlantic was a journey that many people made. But that does not discount the memories and just that horrid trajectory up until that point. 
that she has had to live. Yeah. And no one's trauma should be invalidated. Is that the right? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. She, maybe the, the loss of one or two children for her, maybe that cross in the Atlantic was. I'm sure for everyone it was like, I'm I'm saying just don't discredit anyone. Yeah. 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 And it's like, and while may, there may have been people who suffered differently that may have been weighing on her more. She may have been less capable to, to cope with those issues in her life for whatever reason. I mean, like how do you cope with losing two children, husbands, like a new world, you're an outsider perpetually in your community. Like I just don't, this, this woman was fighting from like day one, at least that's what it seems like from the outside. So I, I think that rounds out her life prior to 1692. And as you've all been listening and looking at your clocks, you're realizing that uh, this is part one. Yeah, we kind of <laughs> ran out of time. Um, but I think it's a good thing because she does deserve more than yeah. one episode. And if anyone has any questions, uh, hopefully we can sneak in some answers to part two um, or any comments or anything that people want to yeah. share. So we've, we've covered her life up until 1692. And so next week we're going to get uh, some of the nitty gritty details of those. Well, she doesn't live long in 1692. Those first, it's a tumultuous couple days, yeah. but we're going to reorient ourselves back in the trials and what's, what's going on and uh, talk about the testimonies brought up against her, her arrest, mm-hmm. um, talk about execution day yeah, and um, the aftermath. So there's, there's still a lot to cover with, with Bridget Bishop uh, and also maybe clear up some controversy. Indeed. Con- I think confusion. she's, yes, I think they're, they're, she tends to be the uh, most one of the most debated victims yeah, yeah. in town, in and, and there is some good reason for that. Uh, so we'll we'll touch on that too. Uh, so with that, don't forget to uh, like, subscribe, leave a review, tell some of your friends, all your friends, yes, and be sure to follow us on all the socials. We are at Salem the Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. If you have any questions, feel free to email us. Hello at say on the podcast. And if you'd like to take a tour with either Jeffrey or myself, links to both of those companies are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you later.